Credible reports reveal highly trained Israeli commandos successfully returned the Ark of the Covenant with priests from the tribe of Levi in a daring middle-of-the-night mission with the assistance of a neighboring nation. Could this help usher in the additional preparations being made today from the rebirth of the modern-day Sanhedrin in the heart of ancient Jerusalem? Join us now as we investigate this along with revealing God's seven holy temples outlined in Scripture as we leap into the prophetic fulfillment in the battle for Jerusalem. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good day, everybody. This is Mark Russick, and you're listening to The Russick Outlook. Delighted that you're here with us today. Very appreciative of your time. As we continue our journey looking into the certainty of the second coming of Jesus, Uh, For those who have been following this, we've been breaking it down into different categories. We first looked at what would would happen to Christians today if if Jesus were to return. Uh, We looked at the history of the nation of Israel. Then we just recently completed a series looking at what I'm calling the the foundation for the coming tribulation, uh, which is found in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Today we're going to be looking specifically at the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it's it's rich history. It's it's controversy, and anybody uh, who who has a pulse today understands that uh, the na- the, um, the nation of Israel is, but also the city of Jerusalem um, is is a focal point of contention for the nations all around the world, and, and it's 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 being fought for, uh, I believe, on a spiritual level as well as a physical level. And uh, so we're going to be digging into that, and and also particularly because Jesus was very open about his love and his affinity for the city of Jerusalem and for the people of Jerusalem. Uh, And we're going to see here in a second how he wept over it when he realized really how they missed it. So uh, we're also going to be, you know, looking at historical accounts outside of the Bible, as I always like to do, uh, giving you reference that we're not strictly... Uh, presenting information that's that's in the Word of God, which obviously is our foundation, but also I like to look at references outside. We're going to look into some very, very interesting developments of what's happening in Jerusalem today as, it, as preparations are well underway uh, for the return of the Messiah. We're going to be talking about the temples of God. Um, and just a little spoiler alert, you're going to see that there are seven temples and, and, you know, people don't really, you know, realize that. And hopefully when, when, I, when I show you, you go, oh, okay, I get it. Um, but anyway, if, if topics like this are of interest to you, if you could pl- please hit the like or subscribe button, it would, it would be wonderful. Uh, it really helps us. We're trying to get the message out there to give people the information uh, that they can make decisions that maybe they had heard some things that they had not been familiar with. Or maybe they're kind of sitting on the fence Uh, not knowing if they really do believe in God and who is this Jesus or why should I believe in Jesus? You know, where is the proof of the Bible? So we like to examine topics like that. So if you could, I'd love to have you on our email list if you could visit Russick Outlook. Uh, We are on all of the social media platforms as well as the podcast platforms, um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google, all of these uh, we're trying to get the information out and also on the YouTube channel. These vi- videos are being shown on, on the YouTube channel. So enough of that. Let's, let, let's get into it. So uh, here I'm going to start off with uh, 
Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus is approaching the city. Uh, This is uh, in preparation for him uh, coming into the city on the cult as the prophesied Messiah. For those who were uh, uh, fortunate enough, hopefully you feel that way, that you listened to what I had to say about Daniel, that it was prophesied that it would be 483 years and we were able to show that it was to the day from when King Xerxes declared the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem to the return of the Messiah, which was Jesus uh, entering the city where the people were laying down the palms, uh, singing Hosanna. They recognized him as 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 the prophesied king. Um, and so, you know, this is that set up what uh, Christians, many Christians know as as Palm Sunday, the week before uh, Resurrection Sunday, or or people know it as Easter Sunday as well. So anyway, here's here's Jesus. I, I hope I set that up okay for you. And he's approaching it, and and he's weeping. And it says here, uh, and when he drew near the, and saw the city, he wept over it. So so Jesus is is has got an emotional attachment here. I mean that that's clear. And it says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and because uh, and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They would not leave one stone upon another in you. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So here Jesus is coming into the city. He's coming in as the return prophesied Messiah. And he's weeping because he knows who he is. But he knows that the city doesn't know. Where the, 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 the bulk of the uh, Pharisees and, and, and the Sanhedrin and many of the Jewish people in the area do not recognize the timing of the scriptures as now. So this is why he's weeping. If you're watching this on video, I'm showing you just a, a little montage of different images of, of the city. City of Jerusalem at night, currently just absolutely beautiful. In the daytime, people at the Western Wall. I have some very older pictures going back to the 19th century. And uh, I, I also wanted to point out here, there's a graphic image of uh, an artist's rendition where he said in Revelation 21.2, uh, this is John, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there you have it. And in the lower left corner, uh, a, a mock-up of, of, of what the temple would, uh, would be looking like. So here we go. We're about to enter into the battle for Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, Jerusalem is mentioned 142 times in the New Testament. It appears in the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible, 669 times, and Zion, which sometimes means, which actually usually means Jerusalem. Sometimes it refers to the nation or the land of Israel. And this appears 154 times. So, you know... If this is mentioned in reference so many times in the Bible, you can imagine how important this city is. If you're looking on video, I'm showing you a little bit of a, a, a of a map image to give you uh, a, an idea where the city is, uh, right near the West Bank. It, people who know the history that the Palestinians uh, or the people, uh, the Palestinians that are living in the West Bank, and that they're fi- the people are fighting for um, East Jerusalem to be their capital. And then on the west coast, on the Mediterranean coast, uh, near the border of, on the southern border of uh, Egypt is Gaza. 
And then um, I'm going to say right about in the middle of the city on the East Coast is, is the city of Tel Aviv, which is a booming, bustling city. Um, it, it's just it, it, it's 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 really amazing. And, and the technology and, and the uh, the financial and the economic development and prosperity that this city sees is is pretty incredible. Um, but as most people know, in modern war, by the time that the enemy enters your capital, it generally means the war is lost uh, in the air, the ground, or on the seas. So most times when you're going to war, one nation against another, they're going after your capital. Once you take the capital down, that's that's pretty much uh, um, guarantees victory and, and hope, well, you know, I'd say hopefully, but uh, if you're the attacker that you would want them to surrender. So on the right-hand side, I give you a little bit of a history of the capturing and the wars that have happened in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it has been attacked 52 times, uh, captured and recaptured 44 times, uh, besieged 23 times, and twice it was completely destroyed. I give you a little bit in this graph um, the different uh, cultures and the different empires that held it uh, and maybe some of the different religious affiliations, whether it was Hebrew or Jewish or, and, and, and there was Muslim control and Christian control. So all of that is pretty much laid out for you. But what I'm getting at is why are the nations from all over the world fighting so vigorously for control of this city? I mean, it's, it's very, very apparent. Uh, I'm going to point to how the Lord feels uh, about this city, giving you an idea by reading Zechariah 12, 1 through 9. If you're seeing this on video, uh, you see the yellow highlights where I, I, I show you how many times Jerusalem is mentioned, and it's seven times in just nine verses. So bear with me while I read this, but I, I really believe it's very important so you see how passionate the Lord is for this city. It says a prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, who forms the human spirit within a person declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sounds that sends all of the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. That's the surrounding areas. Uh, on that day, when all of the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all of the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah, but I will blind all of the horses of the nations. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Almighty is their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch among shelves, sheaves, excuse me. Uh, they will consume all the surrounding peoples right and left, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. And in the last two verses, the Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will set out to destroy all of the nations that attack Jerusalem. So if you're against Jerusalem, you're against the Lord God. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. The line in the sand is drawn. 
um, and and he will make it so difficult for you. Uh, so you know you've been given fair warning, and and you know we know that all of the prophecies concerning the Jewish people and how they were captured and 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 taken out of the city. We you know we've gone through so much of that in our studies about Israel and looking at the book of Daniel. So, you know, we, I know that a lot of this has been covered. If you can and you hadn't heard it, if you can go back, I think you, you'll, you'll, hopefully you'll get some things out of it that you'll enjoy. So I want to move on to, because we're about to go into a brief little overview of, of, of the temples. And as I said in the beginning, we're going to look at seven different temples. But I, I, I want to point out something very interesting that, that happened and it's recorded in the Bible. It's recorded as words of Jesus and is verified by the Jewish historian Josephus as well as the Roman historians. So you can see today exactly what was prophesied and what happened. You can't deny it. So again, this is another clear indication of how the Bible spoke prophetically and we can see it not only in our history books, but you can physically see this today. I, I was fortunate enough to visit Israel several, year, several years ago in the city, so I saw this. Uh, and what you're looking at, if you're seeing this on video, I show you the stones uh, of the temple, of Herod's temple, the temple uh, of Jesus' day. Um, so Matthew 24, um, Jesus left the temple and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him and they called his attention to its buildings. So he's leaving the temple. He's in the city of Jerusalem. This is, you know, right in the middle of, of, of the time where he's entered into the city. And it's a time of great ministry. He's, there's, there's tremendous ministerial works going on, uh, ministry works, I should say, um, not only by Jesus, but by his disciples. But he says here, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, picture if you're the apostles. Here's the, you know, you're in the city. The, you're in, you're, 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 you've got a Jewish heritage. You know the temple. You know this is where, where the Lord God is, you know, where people are going to meet with him. The sacrifices are going on. And he's saying, not one stone here will be left on another. Everything will be thrown down. So fast forward to 70 A.D., uh, Titus Vespian, who was a general of the 5th Roman Legion. Now, remember, Rome is in charge of the city. Rome, you know, not only in the time of, of Jesus, but uh, the empire lasted, I think, a little, I think it was, it was less than 100 years later. I, I marked this down um, in, when we were in, the, in the study of Daniel, so I can't recall off the top of my head. But uh, 70 AD, the Romans still had control. That's, that's really the point. So the 5th Roman Legion came into putting down, there was an uprising in the city of Jerusalem. So he was in charge of putting this uprising down. And what I would call a police action, something that we would you know, relate to today. There was gold in the tapestries and in the inlay of the temple. So the temple had stone and wood naturally, but in, in there was plenty of gold because this was the, the, the temple of God. So they, they honored the Lord by, by putting gold in there. But when the temple caught fire, the gold began to melt, according to Josephus, he said, from the intense heat of the fires. It began to go and melt through the cracks of the great stones of the temple. And eventually, uh, Vespian had, uh, Vespasian, I'm sorry, had put this um, uprising down. And when the fire had been extinguished and restored, the general ordered the gold to be scraped off between the stones and sent back. And, and basically, so it became rubble. 
and and the gold was completely scraped off and sent back to Rome, and it, it it's this pile of stones. Which if if you're if you're seeing this on video, you know you see this in front of you. This is a prof- prophetic fulfillment exactly of what Jesus said. Not one stone would be left on top of another. And that's exactly what happened. And you can see that today. If you're not watching this on video, if you happen to be on the uh, the podcast, you know, you can look at this online anywhere too. Just do a little bit of history um, search. This has been recorded by Roman historians and Jewish historians, uh, Josephus, as well as the Bible. So I wanted to give you a little preface on that temple. And I'm, and I'm pointing out here, there are seven temples um, that, that have been laid out prophetically, and five are in the city of Jerusalem. And the tabernacle, which was uh, the, the mobile, I'll call it the mobile uh, temple um, in the time of Moses. And, and I'm counting that as a temple because this is where the Lord God was. The, and, and we know that, you know, um, there was a cloud that hovered over the temple and, and where the cloud went and the people went, you know, the Lord went. So you, that was your first temple, and then you had Solomon's temple, and I'm pretty sure most people, even not, not familiar with the Bible, have heard of Solomon's temple. So that's the first physical um, temple that was built in one location. Uh, that eventually uh, w- was torn down, and then you had the uh, temple rebuilt in what's called either Zerubbabel's or Herod's temple. I give you the scriptural example of Isaiah 44, 28 and Ezra 6, 1 through 15. So there you have those first three temples from uh, what, what, what was the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and it was placed in, in the temple that, that moved where the, where the Jewish people moved or the Hebrew people moved, Solomon's Temple and Herod's Temple. Then you have the temple uh, that we are today. That is, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are the temple of the Lord. And that's where the Holy Spirit came into you. And that's where you have uh, direct, uh, um, how should I say, you walk directly into what would be the Holy of Holies, in, in which was the inner courts where you go to meet with the Lord. Um, this is what they, they did in those days. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus and because of the victory on the cross, the Holy Spirit came to us and enables us to have that direct indwelling. So we are the temple. So that's temple number four. Temple number five is what's mentioned, what will be the rebuilding uh, of of the temple. And we're going to cover that in a second here, what will be on what we know as the temple mount in in that area. Um, then there's a heavenly temple that John speaks of, and I give you a number of different uh, verses in Revelation for this. Uh, and this is where the Lord commands the angels and is really kind of directing uh, the events of what's happening during the seven years of the tribulation. And then finally, you have the, the millennial temple, which is where Jesus will reign, uh, um, what's uh, outlined in Ezekiel 40 through 48. So this is after the seven years of tribulation, um, and, and then we come into what will be the ensuing thousand years. So there you have seven temples, and most people know that seven is the number of the Lord. The seven is the perfect number. So what's going on today? Um, so Hopefully, you, you know, most people know that uh, Jerusalem was recaptured um, miraculously in 1967 in the Six-Day War. Uh, prior to that, they had, um, they had the nation of Israel, but they had held only control over Western Jerusalem. So they, they now had control uh, of Jerusalem. 
Uh, so what's been going on is people have been preparing the way for the return of the Messiah. So the modern-day Sanhedrin was reconvened in Jerusalem in 2005 uh, with 71 of the most highly respected rabbis. They meet monthly to this day. And I give you uh, the Temple Institute a picture here. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible building. It's an incredible place. On the lower right, it shows you what the temple will, uh, what they are projecting that it will look like um, in preparation for the return of the Messiah. And they're going through every painstaking detail to make sure everything is prepared. Uh, so I've listed here all of the vessels for temple worship, from the linen robes for the high priest to the breastplate to the mizrak to the altar of the burnt offering, table of shewbread, laver of cleansing, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense, which incidentally is where our prayers are heard. Let me take a slight detour, right-hand corner, Revelation 5, 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they had bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So your prayers go up when your prayers are heard and your prayers go up and they are incense in, in, in the confines of heaven, that the Lord actually breathes this in. Um, so that's outlined in, in Exodus and then the uh, silver trumpets in Numbers. So I give you scriptural references on the visual for all of these things, but all of these things are being prepared today and are ready to go um, by the Temple Institute, by this group of Sanhedrin that are making sure that they have, they're doing their due diligence for when the opportunity arises that the temple will be built. And they've got all of the plans, they've got all the paperwork, they've got everything ready to go. So there's a few other things that needed to happen. Um, Ezekiel 36.25 prophesizes the rebirth of Israel and the resumption of the water purification from the red heifer in the last days. And interestingly, this is a pure red heifer. Uh, so what that means is there's not one hair on, on his body that's not red, um, that all of his hair attained to his skin uh, would be perfect. They are, they are, have been begin um, breeding these animals again. This was gone for thousands of years, uh, began in 1997. And uh, in, in 2020, a pure red heifer was born in Israel that meets the qualifications that is outlined in Numbers 19. I've also heard that there are farmers in Indiana that are, are also preparing the way and, and breeding the red heifers as well. Uh, so Jewish authorities in Israel and the United States and maybe elsewhere but the point is, up until 30 years ago, the red heifer was not, was not to be found. So, new development there. Uh, also, there's a very specific purple dye that needs to be put into the priest's clothing. Uh, that came from a, a, uh, a shell, a, a mollusk that was in the Mediterranean. That mollusk, I don't, I don't know if it was extinct, but they, couldn't, they didn't see it for... Uh, for uh, at least in the twentieth uh, in the twentieth century, up until the late nineties, they were able to find this. So this produces that specific dye. So you know, prior to say nineteen ninety, they couldn't fulfill this uh, aspect of, of, of the preparation for the temple. Uh, over to your right hand side, there's an anointing jar that's outlined in Exodus thirty um, with specific. Uh, um, uh, ointments and, and, and myrrhs. Actually, it's, it's myrrh, uh, cinnamon, calamus, cassia, and olive oil. But these jars were found when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
So the anointing oil jars were found. And what's so important about this is, I'm going to bring you back to Daniel 9.24, where it says the 77s are decreed for your people. Hopefully you've you've heard this one and you, you know what I'm talking about. And your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So what this means is, that Jesus, when he returns, he will be anointed with this um, uh, mixture of, of, of herbs and oils, and this would be the anointing oil. So Jesus, the Messiah, will be anointed when he returns to the temple to establish his kingdom for the millennial reign. It is very important to note that he was never anointed as Jesus of Nazareth when he was on the earth. He is only going to be anointed when he physically returns as as, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and Satan has already been defeated and put into the uh, put into the pit for the thousand years. His Hebrew title is Moshiach, which means Messiah or Anointed One. The name Christ in Greek is Christos. That also means the anointed of God. And it conveys the prophetic truth that Jesus one day will be anointed with oil as the true king of Israel. And the people in Israel have this already in place. They have the jars that were that were around back uh, in, in the time of the Old Testament. And they have all of those herbs prepared. Pretty exciting. I mean, this is this is stuff that's only happened in the last 25, 30 years. Um, people often say, well, where are you going to put it? It's a, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Ask Mosque on the Temple Mount. There's no place to put it. What I'm showing you here uh, is is a outline of all of the uh, substructures and underground temples of what exists today on the Temple Mount. And you see, uh, if you're watching this, uh, you see Solomon's tables, you see some uh, and this is not to scale, so I should say that right off the bat, but it gives you a good idea of, it's 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 pretty close of, of what it's like. I, I outline King Herod's escape tunnel, King Hezekiah's escape tunnel. tunnel. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, on the western, out, right outside of the western wall, they found an ex- excavation there that they actually saw it was a cross-shaped church with stones that were built from the second temple. So that temple that I showed you earlier that had not fallen one on top of another, that people, whether it was specifically from there or not, I can't say, but they, they, they made this beautiful building and they were able, this is underground and it's in the shape of a cross. So, you know, here you have it again, that, you know, kind of, uh, more proof, more verification that that Jesus Christ was there, that he was crucified, uh, and, and that they obviously were worshiping him and honoring him because they built a church in the shape of a cross from those stones from, from the temple. Um, you have some on the Western Wall. My point here is there is plenty of space that they can build it when the situation arises. I realize if you look at it in the natural today, you say, well, you know, it can't be done. Physically, it can be done. Um, the Jewish people and the Jewish government, there's certain uh, uh, favors that they've allowed. They're allowed very limited access. They can't pray. They can't worship, anything like that. Um, o- only the Muslims can. But there, there's a little bit of in-ground. There's a little bit of, uh, uh, of, of progress being made there. 
Um, I'm showing you here an, an, an architectural artist rendition of what the temple would look like if it was uh, up up on the on that Temple Mount area where you see the mosque and you see the temple um, together. Where and, and you'll see that it it is shown in uh, history and in prophecy that this will be the case. I'm going to fast forward, if you will to uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and this is kind of important because it's a stumbling block for a lot of people who they go, uh, well, that's not good English, um, who they go. Sorry about that. Where they, they kind of say, well, this can't happen because we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know where it is. And well, the, the, that very well could not be true. Uh, we think they do, we do know where it is. And um, I've looked at a couple of different uh, um, people who have done a lot of research with this. Namely, there's a gentleman named Grant Jeffrey. Hopefully, you know, some of you are, are familiar with him. If not, please check out his work. Uh, just an incredible researcher, evangelist, historian, great ministry out of Canada. Uh, uh, fortunately, fortunately for him, he went on to be with the Lord several years ago at a very young age. I think he was in his 60s. But just it, just a, a wonderful uh, tool for the body, uh, meaning his work and his research. Uh, so I'm going to show you that in a second. But let me just preface it uh, by this. Um, Exodus 25, 9 through 10. If you're looking at it, I'm showing you a picture of what the Ark of the Covenant would look like. And this is the Lord's instructions. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. I didn't go through all of it, but, you know, he gives you much more detailed instructions. Uh, and here you see the cherubim's wings uh, touching one another, and they also touch the walls uh, um, in, in the temple. So... Uh, Ezekiel 39, 21 through 22 on the left, I will display my glory among the nations and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and, uh, inflict and the hand I lay on them. From that day forward, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. So he says, I will display my glory. His glory is a sign that was given with the Ark of the Covenant. And obviously, once Jesus is on the scene, his glory comes with him. So throughout the scriptures, the phrase, my glory, is used exclusively to either Christ or the Shekinah glory, the surrounding glory, the overwhelming presence of God, uh, which was what was the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, there's a, um, uh, a scripture in, uh, I believe it was Leviticus, where Aaron's sons died because they did not follow. They went into the Holy of Holies and they did not follow the instructions uh, so they entered into the glory of the Lord, and whether there was sin on them, I'm not sure, but they died. But Ezekiel's prophecy may be referring to God's glory above the mercy seat of the ark. This may indicate that the lost ark may be brought forth during the supernatural defeat of Israel's armies in the future. So there's a chance, and I believe it will be, that the ark of the covenant will be present. So let me just bring you to some interesting developments. Um, courtesy of a lot of the work that uh, Grant Jeffrey did. Uh, and his researchers, he backed this up. He has three different sources to back this up. Um, the last known time the ark was in the hands of Israel was in Second Chronicles 8.11. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. And he said, my wife must not live in the palace of King David, king of Israel, because the, pla this, the places of the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. 
From here on out, Scripture is silent about it. We don't know anything more about it. Uh, Second Chronicles 9.12, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired and asked. He gave her more than she had bought to him. Then she left and returned with her servants to her own country. So Queen Sheba was from Ethiopia. She married Solomon. And according to historical records, um, as well as not only Ethiopian records, but even this Encyclopedia Britannica um, says that King Sheba married King Solomon and produced an heir, and that heir was uh, King Menelik I. Uh, and this is recognized on n- numerous sources. Uh, so the, 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 the story kind of goes like this. Uh, the royal family of Solomon ruled Ethiopia until the 12th century where the Muslims conquered the land. The dynasty was reestablished as a Solomonic dynasty uh, in 1558. And I should have prefaced it by saying the belief is that um, uh, King Menelik took the Ark with Queen Sheba to Ethiopia because they saw Solomon had been uh, mixing things that would have been... um, uh, that, that would have gone against the ways of the Lord. He bringing in artifacts and symbols that um, would, would just, just would have been a violation of what the Lord's instructions were. Um, so at any rate, the belief is there that the Ethiopian church was, was taking hold of, of the ark and was keeping it very, very secure. And some of the history, if you look at this with Grant Jeffrey, um, you know, this is like several levels down in the ground. They've got several different buildings that you have to cross through. Um, so any, at any rate, I wanted to read here, Zephaniah 3.10, it says, From the rivers of Cush, Cush is the land of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. So the prophet predicted that the Jews of Ethiopia would return after 3,000 years of exile. After great debates and research, two chief rabbis in Israel accepted what's called the Falasha, which are the Ethiopian Jews, as legitimate Jews, and they were separated from the 12 tribes of Israel. So, you know, the thinking is that they were separated. Perhaps many of them went back with Sheba and and her son and and all of the others that came with her. However, uh, Israel only officially admitted the Falashas into Israel on under the law of return as legitimate Jews beginning in 1989. Uh, So tens of thousands have poured in, and a team of elite Israeli special forces uh, flew into this area in the late 80s. So the the thinking is that there was a need for money to get the people um, out of the government that was being overrun and that they were going to do that um, and then be able to go in and take the Ark of the Covenant. These elite Israeli commandos came in and they bought uh, Levites with them. They bought priests from who were who were legitimate uh, from the tribe of Levite. Uh, who you know, for you, those of you who don't know, that is the priests from the tribe of Levite. Uh, you know, they were in charge of being the priests of the twelve tribes of Israel. So they came in in military cargo planes, hoisted it on their shoulders exactly in the manner of which was described in the Bible, and they carried it and they brought this into uh, Israel. And you know the the understanding is that uh, this the Ark of the Covenant is in a secure location somewhere in or around Israel, uh, but that this was done in the late '80s, and it will uh, it's ready to appear when the time is right. That's that that that's that's my understanding, and um, 
And I, I remember, you know, uh, being somewhat surprised and perplexed uh, when I saw all these Ethiopians in the 80s and I remember in the 90s. And I'm like, really? And, and sure enough, you know, here they are. So I'm showing you pictures of some of the wonderful things, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu welcoming many of the different tribes that are coming in from Ethiopia who are Jewish people. So there you have it. So you have these lost tribes that, that were in the African nation of Ethiopia, which the Bible refers to as the land of Cush. Bringing you to a close with the Abraham Accords, uh, because this is impacting Jerusalem. Uh, a big part of this, uh, for those of you who don't know, you've got the UAE uh, um, and Bahrain signed normalization agreements, and this opens up the, the doors to travel in and out of Jerusalem. And for a lot of the Muslims, it's the ability to get to the, to the Temple Mount, which they would not have been able to. Um, uh, prior. You still have your sworn enemies who don't want any part of this, who fought this. Uh, but the idea here is President Trump really took a different strategy. Um, it was always involving the Palestinians, and the Palestinians constantly refused every option. So he said, okay, and he, he kind of tried to strike deals that would uh, try to find common ground. Uh, so they found common ground, and this is kind of what's developing is your um, your your Gulf uh, um, allies, not only here, but, you know, there are others that could be coming around the corner. Um, Saudi Arabia is one of them. However, um, since this was put together, you now have President Biden in office, and he is, my understanding, he's not really honoring this, so I don't know what's going to happen. But the prayer here really is to um, pray that they never go for the two-state solution, even though, as I sit here today recording this, uh, Biden administration um, and, and all of the people and the mechanisms and the machine behind him, um, former President Obama, Susan Rice, and, and all of those, they are pushing for a two-state solution. They don't, uh, they don't want to follow into the policies of the prior administration. Um, and, and a lot of this, I think you'll see play out strategically as these Arab Gulf states align with Israel um, because they are concerned about uh, Iran and, and their influence, uh, you know, especially in Saudi Arabia and Yemen and the Houthis. And then, you know, Israel's concerned about uh, what's going on in Syria and Lebanon and Hezbollah. So, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation, but it impacts, it's all about uh, Jerusalem because the enemies are fighting for East Jerusalem as the capital, and the others are saying, okay, we recognize that Jerusalem is, I don't know if they're going to come out and formally say it's the capital, but it's the land of Israel. Um, some nations are coming around. Morocco uh, is not mentioned here, but I know that they've entered into the Abraham Accords as well. So five markers for the Great Tribulation, and we're winding this down, uh, because this is in the, uh, this is in in the, the, the plan, uh, the Abrahamic Accords. Um, it, there, so there's a, it, it, there's a big discussion point of you know, what will happen to Jerusalem. Um, and Israel, I will tell you, uh, will main, maintain control over an undivided Jerusalem. It's, it's already been prophesied. It, it's already been established. The Temple Mount, uh, today only Muslims can pray on the Temple Mount, but in the Abrahamic Accord, you'll see that they're trying to pave the way for other religions to, to come in there. Uh, let me read Revelation 11, 1 through 2. 
uh, and there was given me a reed like a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and to them that worship. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city uh, shall they tread under forty, under f- uh, foot forty and two months. So you're seeing there that this temple mount will be in uh, shared with the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and the Gentiles would be uh, those who are not Jewish. So we're not just necessarily talking about Christians. Um, number two, the Temple Mount will be under a shared agreement during the final seven years. And the Trump peace plan or the Abrahamic Accord states that uh, Israel will be under Jewish control and will be undivided. So that's that's what they've established. The num- point number three, uh, the Jewish Temple will be constructed on the, on the Temple Mount. And as we outlined in great detail earlier, the Jewish people are making their plans. The, the, the Temple Institute is in full blossom. They're ready to go. If the opportunity presents itself tomorrow, they're ready. Uh, number four, the Jewish enemies will possess the West Bank. We all know that they do. You can see that. Uh, there are 15 settlements in the West Bank. And um, uh, then number five, Jews living in the West Bank will be cut off from the road to Israel uh, they will have to drive through Palestinian neighborhoods to get to Tel Aviv, Aral, Jerusalem, um, and that is true today. So I show you the map, and this is the what's called the Vision for Peace, uh, which is the Abrahamic Accords, and that is true today. So you cannot drive uh, to get to these cities without going through Palestinian neighborhoods or pa- Palestinian-controlled neighborhoods, I'll, I'll, I'll call it. January 28th, um, the circle at the left, at noon, there was the Peace for Prosperity plan. It was unveiled. Just pointing this out, not sure if this means anything or not, but 40 minutes later, there was a 7.7 earthquake that shook the financial district in Miami. And for those who you know are familiar with the United States, Miami is, is a, uh, a, a bustling hub for, for many Jewish people as well as many Hispanics. Uh, 24 hours later, President Trump um, uh, appointed his first coronavirus committee um, to research this, which was January 29th, and only a couple of people in the world had coronavirus at the time. So a lot has happened, a lot has developed, and let me leave you with this. In in Psalm 122.6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And and Jesus says, right, and I have show you a picture of what it may have been looked like with Jesus there on the mountain. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So my word and encouragement to you is if you are a believer in Jesus, and I know you've heard this before, but it's just a reminder to please continue to keep the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel in, in your prayers. Continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, just as as the word of God instructs us. So I'd like to thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. I hope that you learned some very interesting things and some developments here. Um, as I said, Jerusalem is, is, is the hub and the bone of contention for the world, and it will continue to be until Jesus returns. Thank you again. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me, rusticoutlook at gmail, or if you have any prayer requests. Thanks again, and remember, you've been listening to the Russick Outlook, and as always... Just my opinion.